Hi, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Stones of Fire by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International. And we last left off about the wedding. Thus it fell out, as so often in human life, that he who had lectured others on how to be married was nervous and fidgety, while she who had feared that her inexperience might lead to a faux pas said trim and correct answered in a sweet, clear voice, easily heard, and was the most perfect bride the district had seen. But all things, even the embarrassment of being married in a church, came to an end. Lucing, who afterwards told Mama of this inward conflict, added, But as soon as the ceremony was over, the joy returned. The rest of the day was gloriously happy. It was only for that little while. And thus the two stones of fire were set together. There is a common false idea abroad in young Western minds that God chooses two such lives for the one and the only purpose of human happiness. It would be wiser to acknowledge the truth that God, although he delights to give happiness, has also something much higher in view. The analogy might make it clearer. The opal is usually cut with a smooth surface called a cabochon, but the fire opal is frequently many sides. This brings out a greater beauty in light and color. To facet, each stone is set in a cup-like instrument called a dupe, and then they are rubbed against each other until a facet is produced. This is the work of a lapidary and requires great care and skill. For instance, the famous Cullinan diamond took nine months to cut. God often does a similar work with his stones of fire if he sees that they warrant facets or many sides. And as the trials and pressures of two lives adjusting to one another, together with circumstances from without, are brought to bear on these two, do not forget the master lapidary as he bends with skill and love and care over them. Chapter 5. War as Diamond Dust Diamond dust mixed with oil is the only material used in polishing precious stones. It is put upon fast-rotating wheels called scallops, 2,500 rotations per minute, and the gem is held against them. In other words, a quick succession of hard, unconquerable particles pressed against the jewel will polish it. The spiritual counterparts, as God brings them into human lives, especially at certain periods, are sharp, painful events that follow fast one upon another. All of them irresistible, cannot be pushed away, must be accepted and endured. When the scallop is removed, one sees the beautiful lights of the patient self-sacrifice and humility shining forth. Mortals call it war. Those who watch it from above see it as the master lapidary's diamond dust polishing his stones of fire. And now the greatest happiness of human life had come to Mary, a husband she adored, a comfortable private home and an ideal to work for together. The service of the Lord was a passion in both their young hearts. And the first thing on the horizon was the Christmas festival. This was the first year that the village of Olives was to host the church at Christmas. And it entailed a lot of work. Last Christmas there had been 1,000 Lisu to the festival. This time the guerrilla soldiers in the canyon would cause many to hesitate about leaving their homes. But at least hundreds would come. Much firewood must be cut and certain jobs of cooking, cutting meat and serving tables, and so on, apportioned. 
In previous festivals, the eating arrangements had not been well organized, Lucine thought, and he had other ideas how to make everything go faster, taste better, and occupy less time. Nightly, the little chapel meetings overflowed with youthful vim and interest. They had asked Mama to translate a new Christmas song, which only they would know, and now they must practice it in four parts so as to be able to surprise the guests. Also, there were two more weddings to be performed, Enoch to Sarah and Ticketus to Chloe. Pastor Luke had brought his family over for a vacation, although he himself taught them each night, and married the two couples. The village buckwheat also was still being harvested, and as each family helps the other, Mary would be called on now and again for exchange labor, as previously promised. Also, Lucing left his New Year's suit of clothes for his little bride to sew, and clever Elizabeth, Luke's wife, helped her with the difficult parts. That was Lucing's favorite suit. Long after it was in holes, he insisted it be patched again and again that he might continue to wear it. Then there was Lucing's household, with whom Mary must now live and work. Lucing Pa, with his funny puns, was a gentle, kindly man that everyone liked. Lucing Ma ruled the home except when her son was present. His ability to talk, organize, and think quickly was undoubtedly inherited from his mother. It was her clever planning and bargaining which really supported the family. Older than all of them, she was 60 when Lu Sing married. She ran around and superintended everything like a young girl. Mary must now learn Lu Sing Ma's way of feeding the pigs and chickens, cooking a hot mesh for the cow when it calved, making bean and pepper pickle. Lu Sing Ma's skill was famous. Others came to buy her pickles, and a hundred and one other things. Also, there was Timothy and little John, Homei's son. Timothy, Lu Sing's cousin, herded the cows and helped with the plowing. Big-hearted Lu Sing Ma had offered to take in little John, but now he was walking. He was beginning to be a problem. His father was so often away on long preaching trips, and as he was not her own child... The kind woman was slow to discipline him, with inevitable results. Mary had to share in unpleasant situations which arose, but for her first few years among them, these burdens did not weigh heavily. That Christmas festival was pronounced the best ever held. The new arrangements for eating and cooking had worked well. To Mary had fallen the job of being one of the cooks, for that was easily the hardest and least popular. The stoves merely holes cut in the bank of earth, supported a big iron cauldron of water which into which the steam of corn was placed, the fire burning underneath. It took hours to get it done, and the cooks must rise at four in the morning, standing in the bleak wind to watch that it did not burn. It was hard to get volunteers for such a task, so Mary accepted it, and she was the only one who never had to be personally called for that early rising hour. Her quiet loyalty to Lu Sing and his ideals was one of the most beautiful colors in this little opal. Just one thing happened to cast a shadow of warning about the year to come. Chinese soldiers arrived from place of action on the last evening of the festival, came to the platform and reminded the church that there was a war being fought and that they should be loyal to China. Some of the tribes at the border had welcomed the Japanese, but no one dreamed it was so close to them. A vote of thanks had been given to the village of Olives and a suggestion that everyone would like to come again next year. But as it turned out, five years passed before Mama was able to celebrate Christmas with them again. To Mary, the word Japanese was unpronounceable and the vaguest import. 
Her thoughts quickly left the ominous warning to prepare with the deepest pleasure for the February girls' Bible school. The three brides from Olive's were all going, Mary, Sarah, and Chloe. Their husbands could escort them and carry their loads. Brother Three was away on a trip, and Lucing had been asked to teach on the staff until he got back. Great were the expectations and plans, but when the day of departure came, it was stormy, a snow blizzard on the mountains. To walk a day's journey in the rain in cold February might lead to sickness, for the Lacey had no umbrellas or raincoats and would get soaked through. There was no help for it. They must wait until the weather cleared. How anxiously they prayed on Sunday, but still, the skies were laden. Lucing had gone on ahead to help Mama with the housing and dormitory problems, and Mary thought about him all day. How disappointed he would be that they had not arrived. Both were looking forward to their first school together. Lucing was planning to help her make up her sermon outlines when it came to her turn to address the big Sunday noon service at Oak Flat. Would she be able to go now? Already the first Sunday of the school was passing. This weather would be kept up for two weeks. It often did in February. It was still gray and dark looking, and all the grand jagged mountain peaks were out of sight, covered by a blanket of low-hanging clouds, and even the lower slope had that dull, drenched appearance, which was so depressing. But the little band started out. How pretty Mary looked as she came in that afternoon. Her cheeks were rosy from the exertion and happy anticipations, and her pearly teeth glistened into her shy smiles. Lucing met them in the church kitchen, and after shaking hands a spell, seemed to come upon him, so that he could not tear himself from Mary's vicinity. One excuse or another provided him with jobs near where she was, so that he could see her. There was a new member of the staff this year, Ava. Ava was a Chinese pastor's daughter who had come to help Mama in the house in exchange for lessons in Bible, music, and English. She was to be on the staff of the GBS, teaching them knitting and art entirely unknown in that part of the canyon at that time. The first evening after service, the young husband sat around the fire in the girls' dormitory, shanty, and chatted for a while. Ava, wishing to get acquainted with everyone, joined them. When the drum tap sounded, they all dispersed, and Mama asked Ava what they had been doing. Oh, just talking. All but Lesu, he was writing. He wrote, Mary, Mary, Mary in English, a whole page of nothing else. What would he want to do that for? Ava was mystified, but not Mama. Love has to have an outlet, and little Mary, who by this time knew her name in English, must have been thrilled to see that page and to understand the silent tongue which felt no freedom in public. It was her welcome to school. Obstetrics and mother craft were taught for the first time in that February. The influence of these schools were undoubtedly great. The Lacey were animalists and are taught from birth that sickness is only caused by the bite of a demon. If you propitiate the demon by a blood sacrifice, then you will get better. To teach them that disease comes from germs, which breed best in dirt and darkness. It means a mental revolution in all of their thinking attitude towards life. There is still much to be accomplished, and personal cleanliness, at least, has greatly increased, especially in some districts like Olive's, as a mere comparison of photographs, new and old, shows. And the mixing of other girls from both sides of the canyon has had a broadening effect upon it all. After closing day, Mary had to hurry home, for a new venture was about to be started. A two-week school for the teenage boys, the cowherd class, was to be tried and Timothy was going to attend, so Mary wanted to watch the cows until he could get back. That school for boys was not without excitement. Indeed, the staff wondered if it would be a school at all. 
Those days, the heavy drums of airplanes overhead intensified the rumors that the enemy was now only two days away. The postmaster had fled into hiding, and the post office was empty. Would boys be allowed away from home under such circumstances? Friends and families were saying that if the Japanese got any nearer, the ferry boats would be destroyed. Then return home for those on the West Bank would be rendered impossible. So assembling day was one of interest and ended in praise. Thirty-six boys arrived, full to overflowing, for the last two had to sleep on Mama's premises. The two little shanty dormitories had no room for them. What blessed days followed. Outside, Le Soulin was at its loveliest, snow-capped peaks still dazzling white from the newly fallen snow, but golden sunshine pouring down into the moist brown earth and the peach trees putting forth their delicate pink and spiritually metaphor of new life, and into those thirty-six young hearts, moistened, so to speak, by opportunity and with danger, the word of God was pouring, and even though it was only for two weeks, At the end, those human buds seemed to have put forth tokens of resurrected life at work within. A little growth was noticeable in this one and that one. They were allowed a closing day program, too, and Timothy won the honor of being elected as a conductor of music for the occasion. His marks were high also, so as he sped home over the long, winding trails, he felt a new exhilaration and desire to progress, which he had never experienced before. Always he had sat in the shadow of Lu Sing's knowledge and ability, which was discouraging to one so slow. But that same cousin's faithful, careful tutoring had produced something not recognizable until Timothy got away from Lu Sing's brilliance and among boys of his own age. Now he felt there was the power of accomplishment within him, and when he reached home his tongue flew so fast, Lu Sing told Mama, no one else could get a word in edgewise. We can imagine that happy fireside, those three Bible students comparing experiences while the ruddy flames threw rosy lights upon their joy. Timothy's experience was an indirect enrichment of Mary's life. More and more, now the plowing and the planting fell upon these two, and as they worked together, they would review Bible verses or Christian songs. The year 1943 had begun so sunny, was doomed to end in trial unthinkable and never before experienced. During the spring and summer, the Chinese guerrilla forces had pushed into Burma, but by the end of September, the Japanese had compelled them to retreat into China. The Japanese, having won the friendship of the tribes around the Burma Road, had gained the lower reaches of the Salween in consequence, and were reported advancing up the canyon. It was towards the end of October that word spread one afternoon that soldiers were approaching the village of Alas itself. Soldiers of which side could not be known until they drew closer. But in any case, it was bad news for the Lesu. Silently and anxiously, those out in the fields or watching the cattle on the hills returned to their huts. And as a long file drew within distance, the word was shouted by the town crier, Chinese soldiers will bivouac here. They would cut grass for their colonel's mules to eat, and so on. Objections were not only hopeless, but would breed trouble. Silent glances from one to the other were eloquent and small source of comfort. Gradually, the word leaked out that the Japanese had arrived at the other side of the mountain, which is Burma. Another group were only two days south in the canyon. The regiment of guerrillas would camp in olives, and since there was no other dwellings, take over the homes of the Lesu. Up to the trail to Lu Sing's field rode the colonel. 
He dismounted the side of their new home, walked in, looked around, approved its cleanliness and space, and stated, This will be my headquarters. Scared and shy, little Mary slipped in and tried to gather up her bedding, books, clothing, whatever she dared, with bold Chinese soldiers looking on. Where should she take them? The colonel's aide-de-camp had taken over Thomas's shanty, so all she could do was to carry her things into Lucing Ma's hut and stack them on top of the grain cupboard in a small granary which led off the one main room. Two soldier servants were already in that one room, overhauling Lucing Ma's pots to see which to use for cooking the colonel's supper. They brought practically no equipment, so just borrowed the lasus. There was no stores in the canyon from which they could be replenished, for the iron pots that were carried by the lesu from the Chinese town four days away to the south. With the Japanese already on that road, there was no possibility of purchase or travel even in the near future. Mary just had to stand hopelessly by and wait until the soldiers leisurely cooked and ate a meal, and then her pots unwashed would be free for her use. This was happening in every other shanty in the village. These soldiers were all heathen, which meant dishonest. Their one brass teapot disappeared when these men finally left, but that is getting ahead of our story. The colonel said he was sorry, but this was war. He did add that he intended to see that these men behaved themselves, and that if there were any stealing or dissatisfaction, the lesu could report to him, and he would punish the offender. That night, as a little Christian group met in their chapel, Chinese soldiers stalked cautiously in and sat down to look and listen. Most of them did not understand the Lesu language, so the young people were free to whisper and compare their trials. You've lost your house, Mary, haven't you? Are you going to move up to the caves or live with Lu Sing Ma? There are three soldiers in our small hunt shanty, and I would have to sleep on the floor. Two practically live in Lucing Ma's house, though, said Mary. They cook for this colonel, and we cannot eat until they are finished. They use our fire and our pots. Lucing Ma and Lucing Pa, Timothy and Little John and I all have to live there. You've got the granary in the porch when it's not too cold. Yes, we're making it do. It might be worse. Will Lucing go to Bible school and leave you conditions like this? If he wants to, I promised I would never hinder him and her young jaw set firmly even while she lowered her head quickly to hide the tears. She never broke that promise. Passion held by principle. That year of 1943, the RSBC had been split into three separate months of study, April, August, and November. The reason was the birth of Mama's little son, Daniel, in August, and the date for gathering for November school was only four days away. That night, after the soldiers had finally departed and the door was barred, Lucing Ma brought the question up. You can't leave us now and go to the Bible school, she said to her son in her decisive and energetic way. I'm praying about it, he answered evasively. These soldiers aren't likely to offend Mary with the colonel so close. He knows that Ma Pa loves us very much, and an offense to us would be sure to reach Ma Pa's ears. I'm more worried about the rest of the Christians and the chapel. It is empty during the day, and I saw the soldiers eyeing it tonight. Well, we are in such danger and such inconvenience, I do not think you should go, stoutly declared Lucy Ma, who adored her son and always tried to keep him near. You're not in danger with 100 soldiers to protect you, and one less person in this small room would be one less inconvenience, replied her invincible son. 
You go across the river and you might never come back, wailed the disappointed mother. So silent little Mary knew that her dearly beloved had decided to go. The next day, Lu Sing's fear for the chapel materialized. He found some of the soldiers pushing the benches together and spreading out their beddings. Now it was he who made up his mind. To approach that Chinese colonel was not an easy thing. No soldier dared approach him carelessly. They must bow at each step they took towards his august presence. But the colonel was living in Lu Sing's house. So, with much inward prayer, like Nehemiah of old, this barefoot Lesu had asked for an interview with the great man. Well, Lu Sing, what do you want? Sir, you said we might report if your men did anything. Some are moving into our chapel. I'm sorry, but we cannot let them have that. They are in our homes and using our things, and we have said nothing, for we realize that this is war, but our chapel is different. It is holy, and the place where we worship God, and the only place where we can gather for that purpose. We use it every night. I will see about it. The colonel's words were curt, and Lu Sing's face, as he left the house, was grim and set. As Mary went to draw water at the water hole, she whispered the news to the other girls there, and soon most of the Christians in the village knew that their chapel was in peril knew, too, of Lucing's brave request, and much heart prayer poured up to the Father all day. There was absolutely no place in their homes now to pray or read, and there was such constant trials. A spoon was missing from this house, a chicken had disappeared from that, things too small to report to the colonel, but someone must obviously stay in each hut after all the time to watch what was done. For instance, while the teacher Thomas was away that next month, the soldiers occupying his hut took out his Bible notes of the years and tore out the pages, some from each notebook to roll their tobacco into homemade cigarettes. Such a loss was irreparable, as these notes were not in mimeographed, but handwritten. Daily, there was loss and grief and tension. The buckwheat was not yet cut. Whatever would they do when harvest time arrived and they must eat early to be out in the fields at the first break of daylight? for days were shorter now. The soldiers always would eat first. They must have the comfort of their nightly gatherings for prayer at least. O Lord, spare our chapel, was their inward cry. That evening, as the dust fell, the chapel was speedily occupied. Every Christian was present, and that meant an audience mainly under thirty years of age. After the first song, the door was darkened by the tall form of the Chinese guerrilla colonel who stalked up the aisle to the platform, followed by his interpreter. Lu Sing silently stepped off the platform and left it to them. I have said to you, villagers of the olives, that I would do my best to be just and fair to you, began the colonel pleasantly, his interpreter turning it quickly into Le Su. Now we all realize that this is a time of war, and things cannot be comfortable for anyone as in normal times. My men need housing, and they would like to borrow your chapel here. I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to ask you, all of you who are willing to lend us this house, which is empty during each day. For the time we are here, please put up your hand. There was silence while the colonel waited expectantly. Not a hand was raised. The colonel, somewhat nestled, thought it, his interpreter had not made it clear. Put it this way. Everyone who is not willing to lend us your chapel, put your hands up. Immediately every hand in the room was raised, and the young face scared but set, the hands silenced but determined. Stones of fire. The colonel was obviously chagrined, but he had trapped himself. He had said that he would not force it. He had been sure they would consent, if only to curry his favor. With grim countenance, he answered, Well then, the chapel is yours. 
I will give orders. And he stalked down the aisle and out the door. Oh, what a relief. Oh, what praises to God, guarded and quiet, for Chinese soldiers were still in the back watching. So it came to pass that through the long months of strain which followed, there was always the heart consolation. At evening tide there would be peace, peace in his presence, joy in his fellowship, a comfort of mutual consolations. Before long, the colonel issued a second order. The close of the Christian's chapel service is to be curfewed for this village. Anyone found on the trail after the Christians have retired will be taken as a spy. His men watched all the trails in the village now, night and day, for the Japanese were only two days' journey to the south, and the second group of them had reached the other side of the mountain on which the olives lies. With conditions thus, Lucing and Thomas set out for the November Bible School. We can be certain that somewhere, sometime, Lucing had had a talk with Mary. He had assured her of his love, told her of the Bible verse God had given him, assuring him that she and the family would be safe until his return. So the night of October 30th saw Lu Sing and Thomas cozily settled in the house of grace, telling Mama this thrilling story. Now little Mary was left to the difficult task of life in the overcrowded quarters, the buckwheat crop to harvest, and many another trial. And he who has promised that we should be tempted above all that would be able to bear sent her a consolation. Her shy but silent, wistful look at parting had haunted her husband, and as soon as he had opportunity at the oak flat, he typed a long three-page letter to her and his mother telling of his love, and if he had been wrong, to insist on coming to forgive. It was signed, Your Worthless Loosing. She carried that letter tucked in her blouse next to her heart all the time as she went about her work. He made mistakes sometimes, her impetuous, strong-headed boy, but he wasn't worthless. Oh, no. During the day, the boom of distant canyons brought an anxious look to her eyes. She had never seen a canyon. They said that this one belonged to the Japanese on the Burma Pass, which was three days' journey away. It must be a tremendous gun, which can make such a big noise from such a distance. Of course, as a bird flies over the mountains, it was not so far, but the lay suit never think of that distance that way. Then the soldiers who cooked for the colonel told her that the Japanese in the canyon had retreated two days to the south, though the group on the pass was still there, so she felt a little more easy. Well, we're going to stop right there, and then we'll finish up this uh, next time. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.